Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 96. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and I'm sorry that we're a few days late getting this out. It has been an absolute madhouse around here since Halloween, and I apologize for the delay. My guest this week is Angela Mastrogiacomo, otherwise known as the woman behind Infectious Magazine and Money Paul PR, as well as a whole bunch of other things, Balanced Breakfast, Toronto, uh, speaking at various conferences. Angela's done a lot, and we're going to talk about all of it in this episode. I've been fortunate enough to know Angela for a little over half a decade now, and we've both been able to watch each other grow from complete nobodies in the music industry to arguably somebodies in a mid-level kind of way. We both feel that we're still getting to where we ultimately want to be in this industry, even though we're not 100% sure where that is, and the adventure has been ridiculous. In this episode, Angela tells us about how she got her start in the industry, her first paying gigs, and how she found her way to leading her own PR company, as well as why she recently revamped a music blog she's been running for the better part of a decade at a time when there are more music blogs than ever. Angela is a non-stop worker who is always looking for ways to build a better community within the industry, and that is something that I admire to no end. I think she is one of the brightest minds we have in the business today, and I have no doubt that she's going to make a huge impact in the years to come. But right now, she's going to talk to me about how she got to where she's at. And before we get there, i got to tell you a few quick things. First and foremost, this episode of Inside Music is brought to you by Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution company. And what that means is that Holix works with record labels, publicists, managers, and independent artists from all over the world to share new and unreleased music without fear of piracy. If leaks do occur, and sometimes they do, I'm not going to lie to you, leaks do still occur in 2016, in fact, a lot more often than you might think, Holix has the technology needed to not only figure out who is responsible for the leak, but to lead you to be able to prosecute that individual for what they've done. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. You also should be following the show on Twitter. Our handle is at InsideMusicPod or at InsideMusicPod. No reference to the band, just shorter than podcast. On that account, we post information about working in the music industry, surviving as an artist and as a professional, as well as lots of updates regarding the show itself. It's a lot of fun. We're almost at 300 followers, and I would really love it if you joined us. So again, at Inside Music Pod. And finally, I want to ask you to support Angela's various projects. Infectious Magazine has just undergone this huge overhaul that we're going to discuss, and they have a lot of industry-facing features that are unlike any other content you'll find in the blogosphere right now. Also, the artist that Angela is working with on Muddy... Paul PR are all pretty fantastic. They run the gamut from rock to pop, indie, a little bit of everything in there. So if you're somebody that's open to discovering new music and you like finding artists who might be the next big thing, definitely check out their roster. And before we get to the show, I always play a song and I thought about playing one of Angela's artists, but as we both are not technically from Boston, but have called Boston home for the majority of our lives, I've decided that to, to go a different route this week. We're going to play a little bit of music from a band called The Standells, who have an unofficial theme song for Boston called Dirty Water. It came out in the 60s. You might want to ask your parents or your grandparents about it, given how young you are. It's one of my favorite songs in the world, and it you know, celebrates the city that Angela and I have both called home during our lives. So I'm going to play a little bit of that song. We're going to get to the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Be on the lookout for episode 100 in a couple of weeks. And yeah, enjoy the show.
so actually, where are you today? I'm in Toronto right now. I'm going back home in about, it's about exactly a week, and I'm going to stay through the holidays. But yeah, I'm in Canada right now. Home as in your parents? Yeah, yeah, back to my mom's house, which I'm really excited about because I really, like, I, I don't know how you've done it for so long. I really, really miss being, like, around my family. It's so hard. Um, yeah, that's... That's a good question. I I don't really know. I mean, I miss it more and more as I get older. But at this point, I just don't know. It's it's to me, it's like it's just this constant battle of like, well, I could move closer, but like, what would I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, how would I how would I pay my bills? And like this this is so frustrating to my family and Lisa and stuff because it gets it gets into this whole thing where it's like, well, you know, family is more important than why work isn't everything. But it's like, yeah, but for the next. 50 years it's it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be a lot of things um and i don't you know you want to do something you like and i feel like you both you and i have been at this for a decade plus now and i don't have any other discernible skills yeah i know i feel that way too it's like i can't ever get out because i'm not good at anything else yeah now i'm in like when you're young in the music industry you're like how am i ever going to get my foot in the door how am i ever going to stay and then at some point like it it almost like turns around on you and you're like i can't get out i don't i don't know how (laughs) to get out without like going back to school which is not not an option way too expensive uh or like i guess you know settling for some menial job somewhere or you like do that thing where you're like well i I know how to market so maybe i'll market for like a corporation and then you realize like oh no that's a completely different version of marketing that i i don't know anything about yeah and awful yeah (laughs) because you're stuck in an office all the time i have there's someone that i went to college with for music industry management who now works at this company whose name i can't even say because i don't remember what it is but they're in grand rapids which is like where I would love to live in Michigan. That's like where all my friends live. It's within an hour of my family. It's a huge, huge city for the arts, but they have no like arts industry. Uh, and she works there at some factory, not factory. She does social media for some, for some corporation factory that builds something. And she's always attending like these social media conferences for corporations. And she'll post like, you know, hashtags for the conference chat or screen or like videos of the presentations that people are giving. And every time I'm like, none of this, like I, none of my skills for marketing music <laughs> apply to this industry whatsoever. It's such a sad reality when you realize you're just stuck. Yeah. We, you know, you always used to wonder like, how does somebody become a lifer in music? And then it's like, oh, you don't become one. Like you could you just, <laughs> you wake up one morning and you, you're trapped. Like anyone that's yeah. a lifer, they're actually just, they're trapped. They literally don't know what else they can do with their lives. Yeah, that's exactly es- it. Especially if you aren't willing to like move to Los Angeles or New York, which I I'm firmly against. It, yeah. I don't even like talk about expensive. I mean, it would just cost, way too much money yeah I even mean, beyond all the other problems yeah you we'll we'll get there but i know that you spent some time like in san francisco and even then i was like how <laughs> how do you do this yeah exactly <laughs> um you can't, it's not sustainable <laughs> yeah no and it wasn't for you <laughs> you did not um i hated it yeah let's 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 backtrack let's pull it all back Get so people joining will know like what we're talking about. Um, so (laughs) so I don't even remember when you and I met, but we've known each other for what? Like, it has to be like five years at this point. Have have we hit half a decade? 
<laughs> yeah, at least. At least. At least. At least. So we met at we met at Warp Tour. We met at Warp Tour. Sometime I don't know when it was, but it was the, like the press area of Warp Tour, yeah. which is where we first met. Yeah. You know, you're getting older when all of your I met you at Warp Tour. You're like, oh, that it had to be a while ago because like I can't. I don't know the last time I met like a meaningful <laughs> contact at Warp Tour. Uh, so so there we go. So you and I met at Warp Tour a few years ago, and we are both in that realm of like maybe writing will work out for us uh dreamers and we had, <laughs> we had music blogs you you still have one i work for a different publication than my own anymore so i guess let's let's start a little bit before i come in you and i know each other so what is the angela origin story in music like what got you into this yeah so i kind of got into it because i I went to an Amberlin show back in 2008 or nine, and I just happened to get there early and I saw this band called The Coming Week, which were this, um, just this like local band out of Rhode Island at the time. And I just totally fell in love with them. I loved their stage presence. I loved their energy. I loved their music. Um, and I was really, really shocked when I found out that they weren't signed at all. Um, and so I, I got it in my head that I had to interview them and I, I had to spread the word about them. But then I realized that I had no way to do that. Uh, so then, I don't know, for some reason, the, the logical thing to do was to create a blog so that I could do that. Uh, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And I was like, yeah, I'll just keep doing this. And now it's been seven years. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, at one point, you just couldn't turn around anymore. That's how it happens. You wake up and it's seven years later. Yeah. yeah trust me. It's, it just keeps getting later. <laughs> Uh, so, so that was your start. So you, so you started Infectious Magazine, uh, and, and it starts building a following, but that's not like where you stop because you've done a ton of other things and I want to try to touch on a little bit of everything and mostly just who you are and how you did it all. So like from, from that point, you get Infectious off the ground, it's your operation. When do you start seeding, uh, seeding out, getting new contributors? And then how does that transform into all of the other things that you've done? Then the getting new contributors was something that I, I really struggled with for a long time. I, I don't think it's hard to remember now, but I know it was at least a year, maybe two years, uh, maybe, maybe even more than that before I started bringing on writers because I was just so scared and so stubborn where it was that kind of thing where you're like, I can do it all. And like, no, it's, it's kind of uh, thinking back. It's like quite egotistical to be like, nobody else can do it like me. And, and it's my baby and all that stuff. Uh, but it's also a good way to run yourself into the ground and, and that's kind of what happened. So it was after, you know, like a couple of years where I was thinking, I really want to expand things and I want to do more, but um, you know, I can't continue to write 20 news posts a day by myself and do these. It's just like, you know, it's impossible, especially since there's just no money in it. Um, so it's, it's a labor of love and it was sort of getting to the point of insanity. So that's when I started looking for contributors and it's tough to even remember how I, I think I probably, I didn't have really any connections in the industry at that time. So I feel like I just posted on, I don't know, like internships.com or something. And that's how I found the first couple people. And um, after a while, it got to the point where, you know, people would get involved who then could recommend other writers. And, and that's kind of how I started to build my connections within the industry. And then from there, everything again, like it spiraled and I ended up, uh, you know, doing all these other things and eventually launching you know, Muddy Paw PR and um, helping run this music industry meetup called Balance Breakfast and doing a bunch of other things. But yeah, it, it really started with Infectious and and learning how to grow all of that myself, which I don't necessarily recommend because it was 
it was quite an arduous process. Uh, but I, but I did it again with Muddy Paw, so I guess I don't learn. I continue to just kind of be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to dive in anyway. Yeah, I, you know, that's that actually brings up something that I've been trying to find someone to talk to about. Um, well, how did you... How did you learn, I guess, the ropes of PR? Like, how much did you know before you launched Ruddy Paul? And then, like, how did you, I guess, continue to build your understanding? of? I mean, some of it's obviously through, like, doing it and trial and error. But to get, like, your feet under you, how did you kind of learn the ropes of music PR and such? I, I really, really overestimated how much I thought I knew about PR because my my idea was that, you know, after about five, four or five years of doing infectious, I was like, I want to stay in the industry. I want to keep helping artists, but I don't know how to do that and also earn a living. And so at some point it dawned on me that I could do this through PR because I had built connections at this point. And I was also on the receiving end of so many press releases that I kind of learned a little bit through that, through um, watching them come in and kind of obsessively reading them and being like, this is what grabs my attention. This isn't, this is a structure. This is a format, things like that. So I kind of thought that because I knew that and because I had built connections that it was going to be this really smooth transition. And I was incredibly wrong about that because while I did have a lot of foundation for it, there was still so much I didn't know. And again, like it kind of went back to me being stubborn where I was not asking for help as much as I should have. And so there was a lot of things that I had to just really try and figure out on my own, like, you know, uh, you know, where do you put, you know, so you need an artist's photos and their bio and stuff, but like, where do you put that? Cause you can't send everything individually through email. So I had to figure out like all these different methods, like whether it's Dropbox or something else, um, or, you know, like using Holics, of course, like all those different tools are things that I was not familiar with from the journalism end. And I had to kind of learn through kind of obsessively going through other people's uh, press emails and seeing what they did and what they used and, what I liked and and what I didn't like. And so it was a lot of learning through examining um, things that I received. And then eventually after a certain point, I I got a little bit less stubborn and I started asking other people for help. But it wasn't even until really in the last year that I started talking to other publicists. And when I did, I found they were more than willing to help. Uh, So I really wish I had done that way back in the beginning and not been so afraid that they're going to be like, get out of here, your competition, because that was not what happened at all. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of long hours and uh, beating my head against the wall until I just understood things. And it was really a lot of just examining what other people were doing. Yeah, the reason I ask is I was, I was cruising through Facebook yesterday. I know you and I are in a bunch of the same music industry networking groups. And I saw this post that baffled my brain for like the entire afternoon. I just kept coming back to it in my head. And this, this person who I'll leave nameless had made a post that was like, Hey everybody, exciting news. I've just launched my own management company and I'm looking for experienced managers to teach me how to do it. And I, and it, it like broke my brain. Like I read it, I had to read it like a dozen times because I thought she was like, I'm looking for experienced people to like join my team, but it was more, I it's, it'd be like I, I, on Twitter, I said it was like saying I've started a band, but I need musicians, a songwriter and a singer. <laughs> it's, it made no sense to me. And I see people, but you know, I'm sure you and I have both seen people do this all the time. We meet people all the time that are like, what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm an artist manager. Who do you manage? And they're like, I, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, management especially, right? That's like one of those things where everybody and their mother is a manager. And it's like, I honestly don't know why, because it seems like an even more stressful job than PR. I don't don't really get the appeal of management, but it is one of those jobs where everybody thinks they're a manager. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think think there's a really fine line because on the one hand, you have to have a base of knowledge to start from. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of value in... um, and like reaching out to somebody that you trust and, and asking them for help. I probably wouldn't have posted it publicly like that, but I, you know, reaching out to somebody that you already know and have a relationship with and trust and being like, Hey, I really appreciate how you run your company. And, you know, I was hoping you might have a half hour to chat on the phone. Uh, I think that can be really helpful, but I also think that if I could do it all over, I would do an internship and I would probably have saved myself a lot of time and headaches because I would have learned from somebody else in the first place. Yeah. It would have been worth the six months of an unpaid internship to save myself like a year of, of you know, headaches. No, I completely agree. But I, and you're right. Sometimes you do, there is, cause there's a part of me that does believe in faking it till you make it. Cause that was definitely how I got my start in music writing was I would, I would definitely talk up under the gun review to sound like so much more than just like me in my dorm room <laughs> with a laptop. And I'm sure you've done similar <laughs> things with infectious. Like you kind of have to, carry yourself yeah. you kind of have to know what you're talking about and then eventually you actually do know what you're talking about. you don't have to sound like you know what you're talking about and over time hopefully you actually start to know what you're talking about at least that's the goal but i would never be like hi i just I, I just launched a music blog i need someone to write it you know it just it was just the the idea of being so boast boastful to be like i have my own management company i'm still learning how to be a manager but <laughs> i have my own management company but i mean i and i meet those in right like i think it, everyone does it in their own way we both know musicians who aren't really musicians yeah. <laughs> people who are like oh, i have a band you're like you you have a group of people that make noise together it's not <laughs> it's not a it's not a business yet and it's 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 just something i think is kind of it's becoming a problem especially with younger generations because we always tell them like if you want to make it in the music business you have to kind of do your own thing and if you do it well enough other people will give you money like that's and it, it it's true to an extent i mean you and i have both experienced this we built our own things and then we found jobs or found someone to pay us to do something similar to the thing that we started doing ourselves but like that's not like the entire game plan of how to become a music industry professional no, it's, but that's kind of a key point that you touched on is like, you should probably have a game plan because I, I know at least for me, I really didn't when I started infectious at all. Like I didn't even know that it was going to become a career. Um, again, back to what we were talking about, it was really kind of accidental, which is, I guess, sort of beautiful. But today I feel like it's so different because, you know, like you and I, when we started our blogs, it was, and you started yours, um, I think we started the same year, like 2009, or maybe you started a little bit before. I started in eight, then, but yeah, same time. Yeah, exactly. And there was like, it was not like it is today. There was like a million blogs out there competing for attention, uh, which now from the you know PR perspective is great. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult time and you have to kind of learn to stand out and make those connections. And I do think that you have to have a plan. I really don't think you can wing it too much in this industry, like as far as as far as like, I hope something just falls into my lap because there's not going to be a job that falls into your lap. Probably. Um, if it is, it's definitely not going to pay you what you, what you're expecting <laughs> it to pay you, um, <laughs> yeah. ever. So yes. yeah, you, you just, yeah, I guess just educate yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, just do that thing. I was, yeah. uh, 
I was watching the new comedy special for Maria Bamford, and she had this. She has a great joke about this, but she talks about how when she first moved to Hollywood, she asked someone, "How do you become like an actor or an actress?" And the person said, "Well, do you, do you like to do it? Well, then just keep doing it, and eventually it'll it'll be what you do." And she she has this whole story about how that is great advice, but it's also horrible advice. And I, I find myself <laughs> giving that same advice to people because you and I are proof that this this theory is accurate like you kind of call yourself a music professional when really you're just a person with a music blog and you know seven years <laughs> later holy sh like you're now you're a music professional now you meet people and they're asking you for advice and you're being on panels at conferences and you're like holy shit i guess i just i guess i am this thing now like i i i, I guess i did it it is funny how that how that works I, yeah that's good advice I like that. Just it, keep um, doing it. It definitely rings true. Yeah, and it, but it's it's frustrating because you never know when it happens. And you and I have both had our fair share of false starts. One of them that we share is working for our stage. <laughs> it was the best of times and the worst of Simultaneously. times. Simultaneously, I know. <laughs> yeah, day to true. day. So I I, yeah. I don't think I've ever had someone on the podcast that had that was at our stage with me. I've definitely referenced it a few times. But this, we can finally, I can finally talk about it. So like, so I worked there first, but our stage, uh, they do arguably still exist. But it was, it was a, it, for people listening that don't know what it is, it was a music platform for discovery that basically it was a competition system. And it was a really good competition system with a whole bunch of not so good stuff around it. And they had a massive, massive amount of funding. It was a little, a little startup located in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes outside of Boston, minus traffic. And I worked there for a while, and then Angela came and worked there just before everything collapsed. And it was not her fault that everything <laughs> collapsed, but, like, fate decided shortly after she joined the team that, like, the company would implode. And I've told a lot of people about my experiences with that, but what was it like from your perspective? Because I'd like to get another person because like, you know, you found out that there was this, this music company near where we lived that was hiring people and paying them to work in the music industry. So I assume to you that it was like, like it was to me, where it was like, holy shit, like this is my door. Yes, I, that's exactly what I thought. I was so excited about it. And I truly like, adored everyone there like it was such a little family and I absolutely loved that aspect of it um and yeah it it was really really sad like you said it really was like I came in and a couple months later it was like all these all these problems um you know which I think is not uncommon with music startups is funding problems and and kind of running into issues there yeah, it, it was it was a learning experience because it did seem almost too good to be true. It was like you're gonna write about music and you're gonna work with musicians and like you have this there's this like nice little family here and, and everyone's young and optimistic and like it was so great and then it just all it all fell apart and I think I think like with the first like when the first furlough happened, I think I actually cried because I was I was just watching everything I loved crumble and I felt like this is it, it's over. And obviously it wasn't over because I'm still here, but it did definitely feel that way for yeah. a while. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't even know what the word furlough was until they said it. And I didn't I, either. I had to Google it. And I, I, yeah, you did too. And everyone else in the office did. So for people listening at home, like a furlough is like saying, we're going to pay you eventually. <laughs> furlough is yeah. basically not firing you, but telling you not to come into the office because they don't have enough money. And they just aren't going to pay you until they have it. 
Yeah. Which sometimes is a is a very very long time. Which yeah, and it and it was and it got tricky because Angela and I are both not part of this ecosystem of startups, and it was kind of a weird place because we came from the world of the music industry, where like yeah, money was hard to come by sometimes, but like everyone would everyone in music kind of sticks together. Like if something if if things hit the fan with a band you're working with as a publicist, I'm sure like you all kind of have to rally together. But in in the startup world, that is not the way it works. Like. Like, there were factions and divisions and, you know, some people would get paid when the other 20 people on staff weren't going to get paid. And you had to, there were, like, secrets being passed. And it, it got very, I don't know how else to describe it. It was almost like a high school lunchroom once money problems started to happen. Like, there were there were segments of people. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That That is what it was like. And it was, it was like my first major heartbreak in the industry because uh, it was the first time it was kind of weird because like I didn't feel any sense I still felt a lot of community from the people that I worked closely with you know there was like like the editors group you know that like five of us or so and I still felt pretty close to that that group of people but from the people that were behind the scenes that you know I, I we didn't interact with really but they were the ones kind of pulling all the strings um, I felt such a massive sense of betrayal and um because you know there were times that you know certainly i did and i i'm pretty sure you did as well where they would be like we're gonna be you know anywhere from one to four weeks late paying you can you still work and it would be like yeah because i like love what you're doing and you know because you believe in it and so when you're you're that invested in something and you're doing something you love and and you believe in what you're doing and then you kind of have the curtain pulled back and it's and you're kind of cut off um, from like the upper levels, it does feel like a massive betrayal. And it, it was really, really hard for me for a long time to recover from that. And it was my first sense of like how cutthroat the industry really is. Definitely. And for me, it was also, you know, you and I both came from a world where we kind of were in control of our destiny in a way where we, we started the website, yeah. we controlled it. And for the first time, like you and I could be at the top of our game and it did not make a difference. <laughs> like this, yeah. this, this ship was sinking, whether or not you, there was a captain aboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and that's why, I mean, that's why I ultimately ended up starting uh, I mean, it's not why I started Muddy Paw, but it was like a huge thing because I had another job after that that wasn't music related, um, but it was it was doing editing and I was there for like three months and I got laid off. And I, I was just like, why does this keep happening? I mean, this was also like 2011-ish, 2012. So uh, it was also still terrible economy, but I was like, why does this keep happening? I'm never going to be able to find a job. And I hated that job anyway, but I was still sad that I got, not our stage, but the job after that. So I was I was happy that I got laid off from the second job, but it was like, you know, I, like you said, you can't all of a sudden you have no control over anything. And for me, it was like, I did want to have control over it. And I, I did want to know that if I was working hard, that it was going to pay off and somebody wasn't just going to decide to sever it when they felt like it. Definitely. And, you know, I always kind of figured that that was what drove you to do muddy paul and stuff is because you you got out and i mean i had antique records for a while for the same idea where it was like well i guess i have to do this myself because 
if I put my trust in somebody else to give me money every two weeks in music, that might not happen. And I didn't that like that idea hadn't like crossed my brain before. Uh, and, and it was it was this weird breakup. And I remember standing in the office when we had to sell our office space because we didn't have any money and move to a smaller office and standing there with the founder and the shriveled up remaining members of the team and just being like oh yeah this is fine this is totally fine we're like that dog in that cartoon that's like no nah, it's okay <laughs> everything's on fire but we're fine we're we're just gonna keep lying to ourselves i know i remember when i had to when like it was before you guys moved um and i went in to to like give back my key for the old office and nobody was around there were like there was not even that much of a staff left anyway but there was just literally nobody there everything was quiet everybody's desks were cleaned off and it was so depressing I felt so awful because it was like it was like just a couple months ago this was a dream come true uh, and it was bustling and we were all working together and we had big dreams and now it's dead and it was so sad it was dead and yeah same thing where I was like I wrote tweets for Drake while we had this job like not that long ago <laughs> and, yeah we put people on Jimmy Kimmel yeah it was like Jimmy Kimmel contest that yeah. was a big thing we did a ton of like we would that was and that was like the that was like the catch-22 of like the ship was sinking but then every now and then they'd throw us a bone where it was like do you want to work with Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> do you want to work with Drake do you want to do this thing and we'd be like yeah let's do that thing and they would get enough money to do that thing and but nothing else it was like no we're all gonna do this oh it, it was a crazy thing and I, and I hope that it's a story that's told in time because i feel like as much as it sucked and it sucked a lot it it made us <laughs> it, it made us both and i it made us both hardened in a way that was good for persevering the rest of the music industry because i feel like if we can if you can go through like what happened with our stage where you and I and the other people we worked with, the young people that we worked with were like putting in a hundred percent of our effort day to day and the ship was still sinking. And we had to face the fact that sometimes no matter how hard you try, things fall apart and we still want to work in music. I just, I don't know what could derail us at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's literally like, even now I feel like that describes a lot of days where you feel like your ship is just sinking and you're like, it's just got to get through it. You know, we'll figure it out. Um, I don't think there's a single career in the music industry where you don't feel like that on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's a super challenging industry. And yeah, that job definitely, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly did. Like you said, it hardened us in a, in a good way to be able to get through the tough times. Yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those learning experiences in life. And now, whenever I go somewhere, and I'm sure you do the same thing, like now you have a whole bunch of stories to tell about that time you learned not everything works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's talk about your post our stage life because this is where things get interesting. You you like set out on this. I don't even know. Tell me about this. How you've spent the last couple of years because it's almost like you went on a journey of self discovery, and in it became a better professional through doing it. Yeah, I am still on a journey of self-discovery, but I did. That was accidental, too. Every, I feel like everything that happens to me is, like, very serendipitous. Um, so I ended up shortly, you know, within, like, relatively shortly after our stage, uh, moving to San Francisco, which was interesting. But the, the most valuable thing that I got out of it was that I stumbled across this music industry meetup called Balanced Breakfast, which 
uh, now is in, I think, like 12-ish cities across North America. Uh, but at the time, it was only in San Francisco and then East Bay. And it's basically this group of musicians and industry professionals that get together um, in San Francisco is every week, Thursday at 8 a.m. at Piano Fight. And it's just, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. It's just like the most amazing thing you can ever experience. Because um, as I was mentioning before, this is such a cutthroat industry, but at Balanced Breakfast, people are like they genuinely care about you and your success. So uh, it's a it's a really amazing atmosphere and community. And every week they talk about different things, you know, like maybe one week it's like bio writing and another it's booking shows and then another it's PR for your album. It's it's always kind of different, but it's always really, really valuable. And um, you kind of forge a lot of really good friendships, which is nice. So I did that in San Francisco and I was there for seven months. And then when I left, I had asked the founder about basically bringing it back to the East Coast. So from there, it, it ended up blowing up um, kind of all over the place around the same time. So um, I did one briefly in Boston, which that one's not super active right now. And then we started, one, I started one in Toronto and then uh, one in Nashville. And then I helped launch one in Austin. And, and now they're just like all over the place. But that was definitely, it was a lot of fun. And so I ended up going on this road trip last year for four months, um, kind of helping to, implement different uh, balance breakfast in different communities and, and scope out the music scene in different cities, which was really interesting too, because I, I don't know, it's one of those things that I guess, you know, but you don't realize how very different every city's community is. And, um, and definitely like San Francisco and Nashville have been the most welcoming uh, music communities I've, I've witnessed. Um, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. So I spent, I spent the last couple of years, pretty heavily involved with that stuff and then just growing Muddy Paw and uh and yeah that's that's I think that's the quickest way I can summarize all that you're on no time no time limits here so you're fine <laughs> uh so let's talk about starting a group like this because I feel like you know balanced breakfast is the kind of thing that any any music community of any size could really benefit from. So you mentioned launching one in Toronto, and I know that that's, that's your up there in Canada now, so clearly you have an affection for the city. But, you know, as an outsider coming to a place where you hadn't, where you didn't really know anyone or have anything, how did you go about getting, building this community? Well, it's kind of hard. I mean, like when I, when I built it in Toronto, uh, some of it was posting um, on like Reddit, like different subreddits, or uh, also going to Toronto Facebook groups. That's really where I went for a lot of it. Um, I found a couple music industry meetups that were running. Uh, they ran a little bit differently. They're a little bit different focus, but like I would go to them and then um, that's how I would kind of also find people to connect with. And so when I was able to connect with them, I was able to tell them about Balanced Breakfast and and that's kind of how it all grew is just this mixture of online, but also even though online is really powerful, it's way more powerful when you get out in person. Uh, so that was really the most helpful thing for me, I think, was just getting out to those groups in person and kind of recruiting people that way, but uh, not in a salesy way, just, just kind of building those relationships and then saying, oh, hey, you should, you should come out to this. And, um, and it's really good too, because like, you know, especially with balance practice, but it would be the same with any of these things that you did, uh, you know, they're in multiple cities. So something like a balanced breakfast, it's like, if you're a Nashville artist, but you're going to be in San Francisco or touring in San Francisco, it's like, well, now you have an instant group of allies in that area. Um, 
which is why I kind of just always in general encourage like if you can afford to go to different conferences or, or things like that it's it's a great way to meet people from all over and um and build those connections in areas that you might not be so familiar with because you'll have a partner there to help you and and for you like what what is the biggest thing that you've gotten out of this whole experience of building this community and like what do you get out of it every week there, well there's two answers like for professionally uh it's definitely like a client thing i i it's kind of amazing because i haven't been in san francisco for about two years and i still get referrals from balanced breakfast for clients um like i will still get people sending clients my way because you know i'm just so uh, like a part of that community still um even online even though i'm not there so that's from the professional side and then personally i think that these communities really i think people need to be a part of a community like I, I do really believe that people want to be a part of the community and that they want to feel heard and cared for and taken care of and so it really kind of fulfills that need in me personally of feeling like these people have my back and I, like I can count on them. Um, and also I have a space to ask questions. You know, if I don't know, I, I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything and everybody needs help. And it's kind of a space to ask for help, um, but it's a give and take thing. So you you can't come into these groups and think like, I'm just gonna, you know, ask, 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 and I'm never gonna help anybody. And it's just like me, me, me. Cause that, that mentality doesn't work in these settings. It has to be a give and take where you're also saying like, oh, this person is asking about, you know, songwriting, I know something about that, and then you contribute. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's how this stuff works. And I think that's how relationship building in the industry works. Like, if it's all about you, then like, you're never going to get far, you, you have to make these genuine connections and, and invest in other people and, and what they care about. Well, I hope more people start picking these things up because it is a cool opportunity and i don't think that we have one in minneapolis right now and watch someone will tweet at me later and be like we do you just don't go to it. <laughs> um but you know there's a you know i we have both been fortunate enough to speak at events all over the country and see a bunch of different corners of the, of the nation and as much as there are cities where i think music is a lot more prevalent there are really cool little scenes no matter where you go if you can find the right people yeah there and i mean well that's like I, there's one there's a balanced breakfast in denver and I've heard from a couple people now that Denver has quite a little like music and arts community going, which completely surprised me because that's not the first place I would think of to have that kind of scene. No, exactly. It, it's one of those things where I feel like there's, you know, no matter where you go in, in America, there is somebody somewhere who dreams of working in entertainment. And there's usually at least a few of them. And maybe they have a crappy band or a really good band or they just, you know, they just <laughs> think that they want to be associated with that. And I feel like everyone is pretty much stuck at the first place, which is like, how do I get from here to there? There being people know who I am in the music industry. And I think groups like Balanced Breakfast, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, like it it does kind of make it seem a little bit more accessible because it's like, oh, all these other people are doing this and we can kind of be our own, you know, mini culture. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I mean, it's that, it's that in-person thing that I think really makes a difference is, is when you're making those face-to-face -face connections, they are a lot more powerful than like anything you can create on the internet. Um, and I think people, it's really easy to kind of hide behind the internet, but I, I don't think that's a good idea. And, <laughs> and, and also, um, 
I hope I hope this isn't too like pluggy. Uh, but since I'm mentioning online as well, there's this group called um, actually I don't even think you're a part of it yet. It's called Music Launch Hub, and it's a subscriber Facebook group, um, which is basically just to keep it from being infiltrated with like spammy people. Uh, but it's just like musiclaunchhub.com and then you enter your email and then like you'll get added to the group. And it's basically, it's kind of like everything I've been talking about with Balance Breakfast, but online, which I think is really phenomenal because most Facebook groups suck. Like most of them are super spammy and nobody's paying attention, but this one is just like super community oriented with people helping each other out. Um, and I think that for people that are looking, you know, for help with things or they're looking for a community um, and maybe there's not one in their town, uh, or they are looking for like, where do I start? I think that's a really good kind of um, like a way to start to get into it. And it is online. So it's not too scary because you don't have to go out of your house yet. And you can start there and then and then move to the events that are outside of your house. No, I don't think that that sounds too pluggy at all. It's okay. You can plug things. That's why you're on the show. You've, you've got <laughs> things to plug. And speaking of, um, the reason that we got into this in the first place, started talking about doing the show, is you, you just relaunched Infectious Magazine. So let's bring it full circle and go back to where it all started, because that's, I mean, that's what you've just done. What yeah. what inspired you to, I guess, when you do something like relaunch a website or re, do a big overhaul like you've just done for Infectious, it kind of makes a statement that's like, we're still here, we're still doing this, and we still give a damn. So I guess to start, like, what what's, what's keeping you going with Infectious, and then what was kind of the idea behind this design? Well, the, the design was kind of, it was kind of a way to... I guess refresh it. Like, I mean, my interests have changed so much over the years. And, you know, when I, when I started this, I didn't know what I was doing and I just wanted to like promote up and coming bands. And it's, it's very easy when you run a blog and I like everyone I know that runs a blog runs into the same problem where it's like you're inundated with emails and you don't know, like you completely lose your passion for it because it starts to feel like a job instead of a passion where you're like, well, I have to post about this band because that's what's going to bring in um, like visitors to the site and it's going to boost my numbers so that I can get this big interview. But also this publicist is asking me to do this interview and like, I don't really want to do it, but I feel like I have to because we have a good, like it just becomes awful and so like for me i i was so bored of um you know and our writers were bored of just posting like news and things like that and it also just wasn't really where i was interested anymore so i was thinking and i was like you know if i'm going to keep infectious going then it has to be something i'm interested in it has to be something that um that like matters to me otherwise it's just kind of a, a corpse you know so that's why I decided that, you know, we're revamping it. Like we're kind of transitioning right now. So there's still news, but what we're going towards is it being pretty much all just like, you know, not news at all and articles and, and focusing more on the music industry side of things. Uh, so like with music industry professionals, as well as focusing on things like community. So we have a ton of new features that we're rolling out. Um, like some of them, we want to do a mentor uh, session, so we, we want to have it so we can have like an established band um, kind of mentoring a younger band or like a more established industry professional mentoring someone who wants to get in the industry. And we also want to have features like um, like what I learned, like the, the most important thing I learned for the from the industry or um, this like music city series where we're examining the strengths and weaknesses of different cities. Um, we also want to start highlighting bands that. Uh, not only are like making good music, but are making a difference in their community 
or, um, you know, like good, like community causes that tie in just like all these different things that, that are personally interesting to me. And so I, and I don't really see music blogs covering things like that or focusing too heavily on the industry side of things. Um, but I am on the industry side of things more than ever now. So that's kind of why I wanted to, uh, to redo it because I, I saw it as either it has to be redone or it has to die. And I wasn't ready to kill it. So this was the only option. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's a good option. I, I like seeing it redone because, you know, uh, I've, I've made the transition to doing film editing for Substream, but in a lot of ways, you know, I've lost a lot of the things that I loved about UTG and that like, I just don't have final say over things. I answer to somebody else and, and I don't always get to control the direction of content the way that I would like to, you know, like, you know, you always had the idea of like, this is what I would do if I were in command. And I kind of relinquished that, <laughs> that power to an extent. So I, I, I like seeing that you continue it because I feel like uh, a lot of veteran blogs kind of go under. And I, I always hate to see that happen, and especially since like when you and I started, I mean, the, the pillars of the industry, the pitchforks and consequences of sound are still there, but all the mid-level blogs have largely vanished. So I, I, it makes me happy. I know it makes me sad too, but it makes me happy <laughs> to see the effects just continue to go because I, I just feel like that's a thing. And, you know, now I'm faced with, you know, under the gun is dead, but I have all this, all this data and all these stories that the writers of the site want to keep available online. And we've got to find a way to pay for it and blah, 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 blah. It becomes a whole nother thing. <laughs> it's like when a loved one dies, except like it literally just gets deleted if you delete it. So it's it's been a headache of its own measure so i, I like seeing what you're doing because it, it gives me hope that blogs will continue to be a thing which leads to my next question now that you have a real a renewed blog and you're you know kind of making this new push to get a, a exposure for infectious what is what is the blog marketplace like right now is it t tougher than ever is you know what's what's going on out there it is pretty tough i mean it's kind of interesting because I look at when I look at it from the, the you know PR viewpoint, it's like there's so many blogs, it's wonderful. But then when you look at it as somebody who's running a blog, it is really difficult to stay relevant. And and I like I talk to so many other people who are have only been doing it for a couple of years and they're already overwhelmed. And I'm just like, I know how you feel, and also it's not going to get better um, because. It, like I was saying earlier, it's so easy because of all the competition and, and because of how many are out there now, it's so easy to get stuck in like the numbers game. Like I remember for a while, a couple of years ago, I would obsessively check our unique visits and I would just like go crazy if they went lower one month because you, it's just, you get so stuck in like what those numbers mean that you stop focusing on the quality of content. Um, and we, you know, we really got there for a while with infectious. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if this is actually answering the question, but I I think it's just like crazy competitive and I I think that the best advice I could offer is to almost not think about it, you know? Like you started a blog because there was something in you that wanted to tell a story and like the second you start worrying about all the competition and and like then that's when it all falls apart, I think. So, you know, it's kind of this is funny because it is full circle to what we're saying about like when you want to be in the industry and you just say, well, just keep doing it and then eventually you'll be a professional. I feel like if you start a blog, like just keep doing what you started off to do in the first place. And you know, the visitors, the numbers, all that stuff will come. But the second you start worrying more about the statistics than the, the passion going into it, like I just know firsthand it all falls apart. 
No, I completely agree. But it's the same thing for musicians. If you start wondering, you know, start thinking about your music in terms of sales and reception, then you just you lose the spark. Yeah, it's very easy to do. You know, I'm actually I'm actually going through this exact thing right now because I, I've been for the last couple of months and especially a lot more as of late, I've been trying to piece together this book of collected reviews, not music reviews, but film reviews, because I've I've written by the end of this year, I will have written 250 in the last two years which is like wow. way too many movies. Um, <laughs> I actually, side story, I read, a, I read a whole article today about the various ways movie watching movies can kill you and it like just depressed the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> You're uh, gonna die very early then. They say that after the age of 35, men and women who watch a two hour movie take an additional 30 minutes off of their lives. Real? How? Why? I, it's it's this That's whole crazy. it's this idea of micro lives and sedentary behavior and stuff. But I will argue that Gene Shalit, the Today Show critic, probably watched way more movies annually than you or I, and he lived in ninety. Ebert had a <laughs> Ebert had a disease that took his life, cancer, I believe. He lived to seventy. Um, there's a film historian whose name is slipping my mind right now, who's like eighty six. Like people make it who watch a lot of movies. But I think it's, it, but it, you know, anyways, sidetrack, going back. So I'm working on this book idea. <laughs> I don't even, I have, a, I have a couple of different titles that I've been kicking around recently. And the idea is basically I'm going to bring together all the reviews I've written from that period. I'm going to collect them into a bunch of chapters themed. And it'll have some essays I've written and a bunch of like lists that I've made up just to kind of, you know, pad the content of the book a little bit. And I'm so close to being done. Like all I have to do is put everything together in, in the digital form and then launch pre-orders and blah, blah, blah. But I've hit this wall because I was laying in bed the other night and I was thinking about how I have a bunch of books on film criticism. Like Kurt Loder wrote a book. I have some of Ebert's books. I love reading that stuff. But when I go to Amazon and I look at movie critic books or movie criticism books, they uh, there's like seven. And I, I know the authors that have written all of them and they all have a lot more experience than me. But like there just aren't a lot of books like that released anymore. And I, I hit this wall the other day where I was like, I needed a couple, I need like, a, let's say $500 to finish what I'm trying to do. And I was like, maybe I'll launch a Kickstarter. And then I immediately got in my head where I was like, but what if no one gives a shit? Like, what if, <laughs> what if I've worked so hard to put this book together that I've wanted to do? Like, it's something that I, I absolutely want to create. And I tell the world that I need help making it and everyone goes, sorry. Or like, they just don't, they just don't care. Um, and, and and I've honestly just been stuck since that day. Like, as of this morning, I was like, I just wish I knew people would give a damn and then I could finish it. But the fact that I don't know if people will give a damn has, like, stopped me in my tracks. Like, it just brought the whole operation to a cease. And I'll, I'll get over it. I'll get I'll get past it because my ego will eventually kick in. <laughs> um, but... But for like for literally this entire week, I've just been like, what am I doing with my life? And I'm sure you do the same thing with music where like you, you feel like you plateau and then you spend like three or four days being like, ah, I have wasted my existence. <laughs> I do feel like that all the time. It's like a it's at least a weekly occurrence where you, you sit there for at least, you know, there's there's at least one day every week where I'm just like, why am I even doing this? And then usually every couple months, there's this like major burnout phase where I'm just like, why do nobody cares? Like nobody even appreciates the work I'm doing. Uh, and you just want to throw in the towel because it's, uh, it, it tests every piece of you. Like, I mean, I guess any creative industry, but it's just like, 
it brings out all these pieces of you that you just did not even know exist. And sometimes that's good. And then sometimes it's just dark Yeah, and it's tough to get through. And it's hard to like talk to people that don't like exist within the ecosystem of the industry about it because like I've, I've brought this book idea, book problem to other people. And one person was just like, well, then why don't you just not do it until you're sure people will give a damn? And I was like, I've like, never no. known, I've never known people have given a damn in a decade. I was like, you know, I, I have written articles. I have seen the traffic. I know people have read it, but I still don't, I don't, as a creative person, I don't know that you ever feel like someone's going to give a crap about this. Someone's going to care that I've said this. Why, why would they, why should they? <sighs> yeah. And with me, like, even when people, I mean, I feel that way all the time and and it's such a thankless industry too. So it's like, even if people like it, you'll probably never know. <laughs> you no. know they're oh, never yeah. going to tell you. <laughs> it's not until it's over. Like when a, when a band breaks up and everyone's like, oh my God, yeah. you are my favorite band. It's like, well, then why didn't you go to the shows and buy the books and you know, do, do all that jazz? Like I, that's, that's how I feel about my career in writing as a whole is that it won't be until I stop that people will be like, you know, you were kind of okay at that. And I'll be like, that's very <laughs> nice of you to say. Even in my head, it's not like they're like, oh, you were my favorite critic. They're just like, you know what? You did okay. You were a passable. <laughs> you were all right. You know, yeah. Well, you, you, yeah. You and I'm yeah, and uh, it's it's just weird how that happens. And I and I feel like you know a lot of people talk about how that happens with musicians. There was a report this week about how musicians are like two to three times more likely to be diagnosed as depressive or have anxiety issues and stuff. And I was like, that goes double for the music industry. <laughs> the people who rely on those artists to to sell records, they also are susceptible to that. God, yeah. I don't know anybody who's healthy in this industry. <laughs> we're, we're all we're all struggling. It's like I don't know if if it's a secret or or not so much of a secret, but uh, I don't know a single person who is not struggling with at, at least one, if not both, of those things. Yeah. Um, because how could you not? Your yeah. your your money is constantly on short supply. You're dealing with very creative, sensitive people. Um, it's just a recipe for stress. Yeah. Which is a recipe for everything else. And any time that there's an innovation of any kind, you're like, well, I guess I might lose my job now because they don't need this <laughs> anymore. They don't need this thing yeah. anymore. Um, I mean, I, I love the job that I do at Holics and it makes this podcast happen and stuff. But if there was a, if I ever wake up and someone's like watermarking for free or something like that, I'm just going to be like, oh, I guess here we go again. <laughs> the cycle of slowly dying, finding a new job, it all begins all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have a lot of lives in this industry. Yeah, thankfully, we're like cats. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let me ask you this, Angela. What is what is next? We're getting to the end of 2016, looking into 2017. You have the newly relaunched Infectious. You have Muddy Paul going. You do your you do educational things and you make appearances. So, looking to the future, what lies on the horizon? Well, I'm actually looking to do more. Uh, more in the education space as as the months go on and in the new year, you know, I've really enjoyed doing the panels and um, guest speaking and stuff. And I've, I've done a couple webinars and I'm, I'm really liking that. So I'm looking to kind of get a little bit more into that, maybe put together some courses. Um, that I think this is the first time I've like said this out loud to anyone uh, <laughs> not in my immediate circle. So it's, uh, it's very, very preliminary, but I do definitely want to get more into that education space. And then as far as Wendy Paul, like, I'm looking to kind of expand our services a little bit and, and playing around with how we can do that. Um, like, you know, we do the PR campaigns and we also do these artist development sheets where we look at an artist's 
social media presence and branding and all that. And I kind of work with them uh, when they're at the beginner stage, but we've also just started doing one-on-one consultations for artists that maybe, you know, need some help. Like they, they definitely know they can't afford a PR campaign, but they want to launch something. And so I've started doing those kind of things where I'm working with people one-on-one and, and I want to get a little bit more into that space and, and finding ways to kind of offer artists that maybe aren't quite ready for a PR campaign. Like what can we do with them? So um, I would just say kind of stay tuned because in the new year, I'm expecting that we're going to, we're going to develop our educational tools quite a bit. Uh, That sounds awesome. Uh, Where can people keep up with you on the interwebs? (laughs) Uh, so you can find Muddy Paw at muddypawpr.com and all our socials are Muddy Paw PR. Um, same thing, Infectious Magazine is just, is that, infectiousmagazine.com. And um, pretty much all our socials are Infectious Mag. Uh, and then for me, it's uh, Angela underscore Mastro on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, oh, and my dog has an Instagram, which is Muddy Sawyer, if you want to follow his adventures. Awesome. He's very cute. Okay, mine does too. His name is Briscoe the Bully, so you know. Oh, does he? Yeah, they can be Instagram. (laughs) They can be Instagram friends. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. All right. No, I think I think we've covered everything. Everything there is to do. Oh, for people that don't know, how do how do we say your last name? Because I feel like that's going to always trip people up. (laughs) It's so easy. It's just Mastro Giacomo. People try to get fancy. It is. People try to get fancy with it and be like Mastro Giacomo, but like we're not in Italy, so that's. It's a little too fancy. It's a little but, too yeah, fancy. Very simple. Very yeah. simple. All right. All right. Okay. I think I think that's everything. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. I took up an hour yeah, of your you life, so, so that's nice. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. It's a it's a good break from the email. <laughs> yeah. No. I I have I run two monitors while we do this, and I've been watching the emails come in on the other screen as we've done this. So uh, I I like you now have thirty or forty unread emails. Yeah, it's stressful. <laughs> you want to bury your head in the sand. <laughs> well, this will be out later today, and hopefully people will start telling you that they listen to it soon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. All right, bye. Bye.